Well, thank you. That was yes. really fun. Yes, it was. It was fun doing the interview and not just donut service. Not just yeah, right. Usually, I'm just bringing you guys donuts or cleaning your gym. But, but I mean, I still want those things too. It still happens. <laughs> Me being a guest and you, uh, you two being serviced in that way are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Kara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable getting uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about health and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Push Podcast. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good day. Uh, my legs are absolutely jello. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was the best. So I did the programming for for this month, and the for Thursdays I had it be like a tour of different kinds of lunges. Like every week we get a different lunge variation, and so for today it was the Bulgarian split squat. I shortened to BSS, Bulgarian split squat. <laughs> Jill, Jill was like, surely she means back squat. <laughs> I was really hopeful. So hopeful. And then she sends me this text message. She doesn't even say good morning to me. She just says, by the way. By the way. <laughs> it's don't Bulgarian want to miss out on those Bulgarian split squats. Those are the best. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. So yeah. Legs are jello. Yeah. So y'all might hear that we have a special guest here today. We do. Yes. We have an interviewee. Yes. So, uh, you know how last week I said something about how I had allergies and asthma. Um, I probably did have both of those things, but it turns out that it was COVID. So, yes. Um, so I got it. And then I gave it to my husband and, <laughs> and yeah, so we're just kind of spreading it around the house, I guess. Um, so we get this little time together. So we thought, why not interview a podcast with him? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's almost like the early days of the pandemic. Oh yeah. Isn't that sweet? So yes. it's the gift that keeps on giving and it gave us this opportunity <laughs> to be able to interview today. So um, for those of you who don't know, Kara's husband's name is Matt. Matt Turnquist is who is here with us today. Um, and so we're actually uh, recording in two different spots. So I'm upstairs in the gym and Matt and Kara are downstairs in their home um, since they're the two uh, sickies and I'm up here trying to stay healthy so far so good. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a little different setup, but I think, I think this will work perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, honey. Thank you. I'm Welcome, nice. honey. <laughs> There'll be a lot of heckling. I don't know if we can help it. 
I, I would anticipate that. It's kind of our nature. But tell us about your relationship with your body growing up. There's three things that are very distinct memories. The first one is standing on a scale and really wanting to be 50 pounds. Mm. I so wanted to be at least 50 pounds and I was not. And I was very frustrated by this. So that was my earliest sort of memory of my, you know, my body and, and like, and sort of almost being disassociated from my body as though it were not something that was just part of me. So that was one big memory. Uh, and another memory of one of my friends poking me in the chest and telling me that I had the boniest chest in school. And so that also was like kind of a memory that sort of sticks out when I think about my relationship mm -hmm. with my body when I was a kid. And so I felt, uh, I felt sort of like a, a skinny kid. And, um, and then later on, my mom commented when I was a teenager, my mom commented on my love handles. She came down into the utility room and I was doing something I didn't have a shirt on. And she was like, honey, you're getting, getting some love handles there, quite a spare tire. You better start watching what you're eating. Hmm. So uh, I spent a lot of my youth, I watched He-Man and was very sort of caught up in that portrayal of the sort of masculine ideal was mm -hmm. a uh, lonesome, capable, muscular or tough man. And so mm -hmm. I remember wanting to be muscular and tough growing up and kind of idolizing that and wanting my body to be more robust. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was like. That's so interesting because I, I, when you were talking, I had some, there were so many parallels with how I think about my own body growing up, except flip-flopped, right? Like, because mm -hmm. the, of these gender ideals that I remember when I first got to a, a hundred pounds, how my parents were kind of freaked out by it. And then I had all this shame around it that I had reached this milestone that was really like sort of shameful that I shouldn't be that size. And I mean, and I was a child, like, I mean, a hundred right. pounds, you're just a child, but there was still the shame around being that big. And then, um, I would have loved for somebody to poke me and call me bony. <laughs> like that was sort of the goal. I remember we would all like go around sucking in our stomachs and like complaining about how fat we were just so that we could hopefully get somebody to tell us that we weren't and we were actually really skinny. And <laughs> it was a very different experience. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting too. So like, so people listening and who don't know who you are, Matt, they don't know what you look like now. And you're, you're not a thick thin person at this point in your life. So can you tell us more about um, kind of how your body changes morphed and how your perception of your body changed with it? So my, um, I did have, when I was growing up, I like, I had I had kind of a, my mom would actually comment on my, on my bubbly butt when we would go pants shopping. So I, and I had arms, but like the rest of my body was very skinny. So there was some potential there. Um, I actually got 
really into fitness as I am now, where it's just sort of part of my identity uh, when I was um, in inpatient alcohol and drug treatment. And so just basically consistently being around weights uh, got me to the point where I was, you know, where most people identify me as being muscular. And I felt like I was pretty muscular. But then that wasn't good enough because it, it, I got to a point where when I actually tested my strength, my strength was very low, especially for how long I'd been training and how much muscle I had. And so that brought the inadequacy back up to forefront and kind of mm -hmm. informed, um, I mean, literally my training to this day. So that was, you know, in the early 2000s. And to this day, I still, my, you know, the thing that I'm sort of training for is to be as strong and capable as possible. So I, I had this, I, I, I wanted to get stronger and more capable, but over time, especially once I sort of hit that point where I had gotten out of my thirties and come into my forties and I, you know, at some point the ceiling starts to lower a little bit. I have uh, really come to uh, accept and love my body for what it does. And now I'm trying to figure out how to treat it with the most respect and how to honor it best, as opposed to using it to uh, kind of meet some sort of egoic end of mm -hmm. being, you know, an alpha and being the strongest guy in the gym or the somethingest guy. I got to be the somethingest. You don't want to be he, man. You want to be Orko is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I don't know that reference, but I'm going to look it up. <laughs> Orko, Orko is the little like purple ghost guy. Oh. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because I think about like the, um, that workshop that Sam is doing for the kettlebell certification through fitness for all bodies. Um, mm -hmm. we can put a link to that in our show notes, but, um, there's all of these standards that we have in fitness. Like if you, you know, you should be able to deadlift, you know, one or two times your body weight to be considered strong or an athlete. And there's all these like categorizations and hierarchies when it comes to fitness. And, and in some ways, like the more that I learned about fitness, the more I got into it, um, you know, like the traditional lifts and stuff like that, the worse I felt about it in a lot of ways, because when I was just doing fitness to have fun and be really fit, um, it was a lot, it just, it just felt better in a lot of ways, instead of like trying to kind of reach these goals. Like I couldn't consider myself, you know, a real trainer if I couldn't deadlift 300 pounds, just like, and that just replaced the old, like, I can't consider myself a real trainer if I don't have visible abs. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just like another way to like, for us to judge our bodies yeah. and like, maybe somebody is never going to deadlift very heavy at all, but they are like a kick-ass trainer and they can inspire people to move more. And, you know, like, the stuff that I used to think was so important with training is just really, really not as important as I thought it was um, the more I get into it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like, so one of the things I think about is that the three of us are all in the training industry. The three of us are all in our 40s. And 
I think it might be a fair thing to say that we're kind of old in this industry. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so um, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> you're the oldest, but, <laughs> but, the, but thinking yeah. about that, like, uh, you're welcome. Love you. <laughs> but thinking about that, like, I think that some <laughs> of this um, change in perspective does change as we age. So like, so Matt, like, can you tell us more about like the, the kind, well, actually, why don't you tell us what you do for a living first? Cause I already said. Yeah. <clears throat> I manage a big general population gym. Um, we on like, you know, on a Monday, over a thousand people will use our gym. Uh, it's just a constant, it's just a big weights, cardio, group fitness, very basic gym. Uh, the owners of that hired me to start that thing from the ground up and which I did back in uh, 2017. And, uh, even through the pandemic, the it's, the business is doing really, really well. And it's a really bright spot in our community. Good. Yeah. So I want you to think back. So you've been a trainer for a while now, how many years? Uh, well, I got certified in 2001, but was a full-time trainer by 2003. Yeah. So over 20 years, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say are the biggest differences between, um, Matt, the trainer 20 years ago and Matt, the trainer now? Oh my God. The biggest difference is that Matt, the trainer now, or the, I guess the movement professional washed up trainer now, uh, I kind of approach everything from 10,000 feet. I'm always kind of taking the 10,000 foot view of things. So if I have a client or someone that I'm advising in front of me, I'm not necessarily thinking about what's going to get them to where they want to go fastest. Often I'm determining how I might be able to bring a more gentle approach to what they're trying to do a more sustainable approach to what they're trying to do or a more realistic, realistic approach to what they're trying to do. Uh, I, it's almost, um, I mean, I hear them out, but because of all these harmful narratives and all this conditioning that we have, I often find that that's what folks are bringing to the table is something that like, it puts me in a position where either I can be complicit in this kind of narrative or I can try to gently disrupt it or at least offer an alternative thing, an alternative process. So give us some examples of that. Like in what ways have you been complicit? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you could tell us that, yeah. but in what ways have you also disrupted? Okay. Real simple thing. Uh, I was walking through the club the other day and a member made a comment on my body. And instead of being like, hey, thanks, or like, let me tell you all about how my body looks like this and this eye-glazing dissertation that will take 10 to 15 minutes, which is what Matt of 20 years ago would have done. I instead say, hey, don't, don't comment on my body. Like, this just it makes me uncomfortable. And it's really not a good habit to be into. Like, I know that seems normal, but I, it's, it's no good. So that's a simple thing. Um, how do people uh, react? Yeah. How do they respond to that? They're, they're just sort of dumbfounded. It depends. Some people are like, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I hear you. Or 
like it's like just sort of an awkward like we're just sort of looking at each other and then inevitably something else comes up and so i have to go attend to something else and then that person's just sitting there elliptical wondering why they why i sort of rejected their compliment yeah it's kind of like it, it's almost kind of like as a woman being catcalled and not appreciating it and people being like why can't you just take a compliment i hate that yeah i remember it was a few years ago i had posted something about being catcalled while i was at a um I was at a certification in Costa Mesa or something. And I remember it being like, it made me feel really uncomfortable and scared. And somebody commented on there. It's like, well, you should feel lucky because I've never been catcalled. I guess I'm just not attractive enough. And I was like, like, whoa, like, <laughs> like I guess, I mean, the, I guess that could be the perspective because like women especially are so valued for how we look that any kind of attention in that way maybe would be coveted. But um, most of the time when I speak to people and in my own experiences, when I have been catcalled, it really just makes me feel uncomfortable. And I wonder if these same people who sort of like were like envious of the attention, if they actually got it, how that would actually make them feel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, cause you know, it, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm uh, another way. So we have a body composition tester. Oh yes. Let's talk about this. This is a <laughs> bone of contention in our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to be, I'm about to be marriage counselor for a minute. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a body composition tester <laughs> at pursue and I will say we got it because I had used it at the previous company that I worked for. And it was even at the time that we opened Pursue, which was just like five years ago, I was, that was still, we just, how could you not have a body composition tester and be a gym? Oh. Like that, that was still, <laughs> that was still the mentality. That was the, the sound of a little piece of me dying. <laughs> Did you tell, know him, <laughs> tell, tell him how much it cost. It's a $10,000 machine. $10,000 to make people feel shitty about their bodies. Now. Go on. <laughs> sweating now. I'm sweating. Let me get you a towel. So we got, don't give me a towel, it's fine. Uh, thank you though. Um, so we got this machine and it was, it was really around that time that the whole, I mean, I didn't even know what, what Hayes health at every size. I didn't even know that was an acronym. I didn't know, like, uh, what I did know is I was starting to, even at that point, I was starting to think, you know, this whole like weight loss thing doesn't really work. And I actually would be approached by people. And if their main goal was fat loss, I'd say, you know, I haven't had much luck with fat loss. And my experience is that folks might, might like vary their weight a little bit, but they sure feel a lot better once they begin moving in like a really holistic way in some way that they enjoy and do consistently. Mm -hmm. I was like, I think that, I think that's the juice. So I just told people that right off the bat. And then every time I do a test, um, now I specifically say I'm, I'm informed by health at every size. I am interested in providing the service to you, but I am not going to reinforce the harmful narrative that leaner is better and lighter is better or anything else. So that, that, and I also ask people what, you know, basically try to figure out what they're coming to the table with. And if they're coming into that room 
all like, you know, nervous and everything like that, I have refused tests if I just think that it's not going to be good for that person. If I hear a lot of diet culture language coming out of them, everything like that, we'll have a discussion about it, but I'll just say, I don't think this is a good service for you. I don't, I don't think this is going to be productive for you or positive. So I'll say like, I do like the fact that the test itself is like a way to start this conversation with people who you might never be able to have this conversation with about like, hey, we'll do this test, but maybe it doesn't really mean what you think it means. Um, you are how, no or more or less fabulous a person than you were before you got on this, this machine. Right. However, as someone who has like believes in health at every size to my very core and has done a lot of this work and stuff like that, if the person at the doctor's office accidentally reads me out loud my body weight, I will still struggle with it all fucking day. I still will. Like, it doesn't matter. Like I, I, it's, it is just, it's sometimes it's just the knowing and it fucks with your head in such a particular way that like, I believe the machine itself does harm no matter how much you try to have conversations about it. But that's my, I mean, this is why we, I said, this is the bone of contention in our, in our relationship. <laughs> so I don't know if you were to do it again, do you think you'd still buy one? No, that, I mean, I knew that almost immediately because be, for all the reasons we're talking about, but even from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense, but, but like mostly just for the reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. Jill weigh in on this and tell me that you're on my side. <laughs> I wouldn't dare say anything else. You kidding me? <laughs> we just... <laughs> No, I was actually, I was thinking about uh, something that you said, Matt, when you were saying like, this doesn't seem like a service that would benefit you. Um, are there any benefits to that service? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So we, we sort of see this stuff through this lens and in, I, I think that, I mean, I know people that are not all hung up in diet culture that I test regularly that some, some people don't even want to know their weight. They just want to know how much muscle mass they have. Like maybe they did a new program and they want to see, like, they want to see the results of a program. They're data-driven people and data-driven people need shit like that to like stay motivated. And so, um, like I said, I would not, we would not do that again. We would not get that, that tester again. Uh, but since we have it and there's people that are using it in the club, I think there's some benefit to it. So what, so if, if somebody is data-driven, what are other, like, what are other ways that you could measure success? Performance. In which ways? Like, so weight, like let's, weight? Right. Let's say they do, you know, let's say they're, let's say they, they track their workouts and they, you know, they did a certain exercise for a set of 10. If they can do that exercise for a set of 10 with five or 10 more pounds. That might be something that's motivating to them maybe consistency. Sure. Showing, showing up to the gym. It's a little bit, I mean, that for some people that are real data, that's, that's not really enough, but it's something. So, but we're, I don't think it's a problem that we have to solve either. I think, you know, just in the context of this machine being where it is and, you know, I, I like I said, I wouldn't do it again but I can, I can put my head on the pillow at night, I guess is my, my point. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing harm with it. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to our discussion. Do you love the Push podcast? Support us by becoming a Push patron. As a Push patron, you will have exclusive access to our episodes, bonus materials, freebies, the ability to ask us questions, and more. Go to www.patreon.com slash pushfitness. That's www.patreon.com slash pushfitness now to get started. And now, back to the Push podcast. So you, you have it. It was a $10,000 investment. You have yeah. it. And yeah. so you're, it sounds like you're just trying to like do the best that you can with having it there. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. It's the thing that is the most interpersonally intensive of anything that I do at the gym. I mean, mm-hmm. everything else is a real quick, like, Hey, hello, or I'm, you know, spending time behind a vacuum or like, you know, whatever. But this is, this is an opportunity for me to sort of talk with folks and get to hear their story and talk about training and also to disrupt whatever diet culture bullshit comes out of their mouth. Sure. I think that whether, whether you have something like that or not, like people always come to the table with something diet culture related. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you didn't create the problem and like, it's a way to continue a conversation And speaking of continuing a conversation, one of the things that like is not a bone of contention in our relationship and that I'm actually very proud of you for is how you train new staff as far as this kind of stuff goes in the gym, because like a lot of people will come in and be like, okay, so I'm going to work at a gym. So I've got to like help people lose weight. Right. And your approach is no. Um, I, ha- I have a new employee that works in our childcare who was concerned that like, because she wasn't a quote unquote fitness person that she wouldn't be qualified to work in a gym. And uh, I, I, without just laughing out loud, because I didn't want to belittle her, you know, I, w- I was just like, I was like, hey, th- this is actually a great opportunity for us to talk about how we interact with those ideas here. Um, so uh, to answer your question, our staff is explicitly not allowed to comment on people's bodies. It is in the interview process and it is frequently, we bring it up again because it's an uphill battle to not just kind of get caught up and talking about like how great so-and-so's, whatchamacallit looks or how great, you know, it, so it's just, uh, it's like, our members are, our, our staff are not allowed to comment on someone's body. They've got some scripting if people do start talking about that kind of stuff. So it's not just like, hey, don't talk, don't talk to these people about these particular things and just figure out how to do that on your own. Try to really give them some basic scripts. Mm-hmm. So like the, a basic one is be like, this subject, I'm not really comfortable talking about other people's bodies in this way. Like that's one of my lines. And so people can, and I, we actually rehearse that. So people can kind of get out of those conversations because they're subjected to them daily, especially from men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the kind of gym that you work in, um, if I were to walk in there for the first time, I might make some assumptions about the atmosphere. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, 
I think that that's valid uh, based on history repeating itself over and over again in these spaces. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to, to do the type of training that you're, you're doing so that big fitness spaces like that aren't going to be douchebag central. So yeah. I think that's great that you're doing that. What, what are some other things that you've done to kind of change the expected atmosphere in a big gym like that? Um, I don't, we don't have a robust social media presence by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm really conscious of a, a great, a great experiment that I learned from you two was to Google fitness and click on images or especially like women's fitness and click on images. And, um, I really try not to use that kind of imagery. So, um, uh, you know, we have a lot of members that have what is I've heard referred to in our industry as the default body. And so there's some kind of default <laughs> poses, which are generally, you know, see other fitness organizations and gyms and stuff will repost these. And, you know, it's just highly sexualized or, you know, and, and well, I'm all about, I, I think it's great that people express those sides of themselves as a fitness space and entity, I think it's my responsibility to not simply repost and parrot that kind of stuff when I know how damaging it can be. That is, that is not an invest. We did not make an investment in something that is something where we can have a choice to not simply reinforce that narrative by, you know, reposting somebody's thing about calories or using imagery that has, you know, more skin and clothing and, and has like these kind of default body types. Um, so if you look at our social media feed uh, and our stories and things like that, it's really, I think it really reflects everybody that's in there. Um, and which includes some of the default body types, but it's not, again, not just the stuff. And I don't think that we're like anti-thin or anti-muscular or anti, you know, fit looking. It is more that like when we are talking about fitness, that I think it's important that we see that fitness comes in a wide range of body types. Um, actually, this wasn't the podcast that we thought we were going to do today. I've been researching a lot on um, basically some of the benefits of being in a larger body. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that like, we're actually like people in larger bodies are actually tend to be much stronger. Like, like because you're carrying around the weight of your body, the more weight you have, the stronger your muscles, the more endurance you have, because you're moving that body through the world on a regular basis, the stronger your bones are. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of very fit people in all kinds of different bodies. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm looking forward to talking more about that next week too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One, One other thing we don't do is we don't do any contests. We don't do, we don't do contests, we don't do like weight loss. I mean, we just don't talk besides the imagery. We don't, we don't, it's just not something we promote. And we have that machine. I'm sorry. One more time on the Seeker machine. We don't even talk about it. Like people have to know about it and ask about it just because even that, I think even someone like walking in there and seeing like an advertise, like a big, like, Hey, try out our body composition analyzer. And like, that's damaging. So um, any, anywhere. So you mentioned walking into the gym, Jill, that's like, I try to walk into the gym with a fresh perspective and be like, what would I, and so 
that that's the best way that I can besides training our staff is to not with imagery and is the sort of programming we do to not reinforce those narratives. Ooh, ooh, so I have a good one. <laughs> Jill slap it. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a scenario of something that actually happened to me in a Globo gym. And I want you to tell me what you would tell your employee if you heard this interaction. So I walk into a gym hey, can I join this gym? And they say, sure, let me give you a tour. Here's all the cardio equipment. And this is our weight loss program. Without asking me once what my goal was, having no idea that I was even a trainer or that I knew what I was doing. Well, first, first I would read, I would, are you still there as the potential client or that you're gone? I, well, that's up to you. I don't know, like, how hard do you want, like, what do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> so if, if, if I saw a staff person giving someone a tour like that, and I heard that whole interaction, I would, and I'm very careful not to, like, throw my staff under the bus, but I would immediately insert myself and say, well, what is it that you like to do? What, and so I would just, I, I mean, I, that's what I would do, say, what is it that you like to do? I wouldn't even necessarily, I don't even, we don't even talk about goal. It's really just like, cause, and this is just for our gym, it like the main idea is the space. And then so what someone's goal is can maybe inform what they're doing in the gym, but our gym is pretty simple. So pretty much everyone's lifting and doing cardio and maybe doing some group fitness. And so, um, okay. So back to the question, uh, that would be a closed door conversation with that employee. I would refer back to our employee guide where this is very specific and explicit is that here, here's a common narrative in fitness that thinner is better and that everyone's here for weight loss. Why is it that you projected that onto that person? So I would try to find out why that employee had that value in the first place. Not just that they did something they weren't supposed to do, but why they had that value in the first place. And then I'd attempt to unpack it and see if there was even anywhere to move forward with. Because like, I don't know, maybe it comes from parenting, but just saying, hey, don't do that. And mm -hmm. remember why we don't do that. I would try to ask more questions. Well, right. And the more we think about what we don't want to do, it's like you focus in on that thing more than you can focus on like finding other solutions. Yeah. And so, yeah, like figuring out where they're, where that belief comes from and then listening to our podcast next week to like deconstruct the shit out of it. Yep. Right. Yeah. We got a good one coming. <laughs> um, okay. So our listeners who don't know you, Matt, will mm -hmm. not know this, but you're a white man. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your privilege as a white man in a fitness space and how you use that privilege to, as you put it, disrupt things. Yeah, I, I mean, I am such a privileged white man that I have literally stumbled through my fitness career into any job that I wanted and, and then like got like this thing, which is my dream job. So I'm acutely aware of the fact that I have a lot of privilege here. Um, 
Well, I guess I feel like we've talked about this already, but when when a member makes a comment to me, like I said, it's generally a man, I will not comply with that comment or even necessarily be polite, but I'll simply say, you know, I'm not comfortable with you talking to me that way. You know, why is it that you feel, I've had this conversation with a few men over the years is like, why is it that you feel that you have the agency to just comment on people? So that is uh, one way I do it. Um, another way uh, I try to disrupt that whole sort of white privilege thing is when I'm, when I'm hiring, I really try to hire folks and find folks and promote folks that are, at least I'm always in, in the mind, like how can I bring equity into this particular very small sphere? So, you know, it is a big gym, but it's actually a small group of, of employees. So um, rather than just being the big shot, swinging it around ego-driven white male leader that are, were so common, I try to bring a try to bring some consciousness to that, so that uh, when I hire and with every interaction, I'm not just being the alpha. Yeah, it's really easy to just settle into the alpha role, and people actually sort of want me to be in an alpha role. Well, and we're so used to it. We worked for a company that had like a ton of alphas. Like mm -hmm. there was a whole group of like privileged white male douchebags that like, and it was an mm -hmm. awful working environment. It was yep. horrible. Like they were constantly, you know, like patting themselves on the back and all this kind of, and they were just awful. And I remember even when I was moving from another town to go work at that club, I, I had told my boss at the time that I had an interview at that company he had heard terrible things about that group of like awful white men that were all working together for that for that company that we all used to work for and how like just toxic it was mm -hmm. and I had not I didn't really believe him until I got there and it was like it I think that when, when white men who don't check their privileges are the ones to completely run spaces, you end up with patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism, all the shit, like all of it. Mm -hmm. And and you are like, even as a white woman I felt like I was constantly under attack sure yeah. you were yeah I so when I first started working for that company one of the leaders in the company was a woman she was she hired me and there was at that time I mean we all can kind of look back at the past nostalgically with rose-colored glasses and stuff but at that time there was there was a real sort of nurturing aspect within that company and then when she moved on and uh these guys i wouldn't call them men guys 
get boys when 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 they were when when that became the leadership there was a huge decrease in communication a huge decrease in morale because there wasn't anything warm and fuzzy coming from there was, wasn't anything nurturing it was it was three men that were sort of hell bent on establishing themselves and using as much gel as possible and getting the most, <laughs> the most stylish shoulder bags for them to do their executiving with. <laughs> and it like, there wasn't like the soul just kind of went out of the thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I, I don't want to be that. That's not that, that those, those men were completely unchecked, unquestioned, you know, a lot of this stuff wasn't even on the, like in popular culture, like white privilege, you, no one knew what white privilege was, at least white people didn't, you know, and back mm -hmm. then. So that's another way. I mean, that's a great model to not be. <laughs> so to answer your question simply, I try to not be a knob. How about that? That's. No, I like that. And you're not wrong about the hair. Like they all had the same hair. <laughs> I mean, I don't have hair. So there's probably some there's probably a little bit of uh, jealousy there, but whatever. <laughs> so you clearly have learned a lot um, throughout this journey and in this industry. And so in what ways do you feel like there's still some learning and growing to do? You know how you, you don't know what you don't know until you're sort of exposed to it. So like, I have this thing where I think not that I've arrived or anything like that, but that I like my, one of my defaults is that like, I have a general assessment of the situation so I can move forward in the way that is most, that basically I know what to do. And mm -hmm. the farther along I get in this and the more I read and the less I talk, or the more I listen and the less I talk, um, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So all I can really do is remain open to, um, to the things I don't know. Now, uh, where can I still grow in this? Uh, that's a, where do you think I can grow in this? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, like, who are the people that you're listening to then? Like, if you said, I listen more and talk less, like, like what, what kind of spaces are you trying to inhabit in order to do that learning? Oh, like, well, it, a great, a great person, a great resource for this is uh, Justice Williams and Fitness for All Bodies. Uh, that, I love him. Yeah, that, that, mm -hmm. has been, that has been a great resource for me. Um, but uh, in, a, in an interpersonal context, it's asking more questions and listening and not and stopping myself before I just parrot some harmful narrative. Uh, I just, in general, I'm trying to make less noise and listen more. Um, so, well, and, and if you do like parrot something, or if you do say or do something that causes harm, like going back to our previous episode, like just being open to right hearing that and and moving forward without getting defensive yeah and then i mean the biggest influence absolutely far and away is is you two and what you do with push fitness so you i mean you, you two and your community and like-minded fitness professionals on social media and things like that are my you know my biggest influence 
in, in, in the social justice world, absolutely a huge influence, um, you know, like fighting for people's humanity. I think that in fitness, we have an opportunity to honor people's humanity. And so those things are really closely related. And so if we're doing sort of the inner work to not reinforce racism, patriarchy, uh, and those kinds of things, to me, if we're really conscious, it's just sort of a natural bridge to consider how those things manifest in fitness as well. So um, mm -hmm. learning from folks that are doing the work and being really proactive there, being inspired by folks that are doing the work and being re really proactive there. Uh, you know, when I get out of that car and walk up to the gym that day, you know, what, what can I do to bring that here or at least not bring the shit here mm -hmm. uh, so yeah good well, if you could go back and tell 10 year old matt anything what would you do what would you tell him and it depends on the context um for first of all i tell him to take it easy I mean, I was already so neurotic and high strung as a 10 year old. I, I would just, I would say, you know, this is all a lot less serious and a lot like literally like life and existence is not as set and hard as you think it is. In other words, not all adults know everything. Me as a 10 year old or not, I am not fundamentally wrong and flawed uh, that it's it's all going to be okay that would be the kind of the number one thing because i was just so i mean i was mean i was kind of a mean kid i was like you know when i changed schools fourth fifth and sixth grade i was a popular kid and so as a popular kid i was also an asshole and uh so i would say to take it easy and be more kind more proactively kind and do more service I know that was a long answer, but that's, that's what it is. I thought you were going to say to be in Bellingham, Washington during the years that I was in college there. <laughs> I wouldn't have made the cut. <laughs> we, all found, we all found our way to our North Star. She found her, she found her, way, she, she found her way to me. When their time was right, I remember uh, realizing, like, we were talking that, like, there was like a period of time when we were like in close proximity to one another. And I remember being like so pissed. I was like, we could have met like 15 years earlier and then we could have just been together from then. He's like, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> you weren't ready for each other then <laughs> right no oh well i'm glad you two are together now the, yes. that, that bod pod did not break us up yes well <laughs> not yet <laughs> we'll see but yeah so matt i wanted to say thank you so much for being on and for sharing uh your life with us here at the push podcast um, if somebody wanted to connect with you, how would they do that? Uh, the best way is just to find me on Instagram. I am at Matt Turnquist. That's three T's in a row in Matt Turnquist, M-A-T-T-T-U-R-N-Q-U-I-S-T. -T -T. Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to find me. 
<laughs> okay. Thanks for that. Okay, cool. Well, I hope that you'll come back again sometime. That's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the Push Podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button or give us a review. The more subscriptions and reviews that we get, the more visibility we get and the easier we can find listeners just like you. Also, consider supporting us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash pushfitness to sign up now and get some exclusive goodies just for you. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.